Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Hello, welcome to FEPS Talks, uh, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies in Brussels. My name is Laszlo Ander, I'm the Secretary General of FEPS, and uh, today we are celebrating because this is exactly the number 100 episode of uh, FEPS Talks. Uh, We have been running this series for nearly two years and we have interviewed many, many interesting and important political activists, experts, academics, professors uh, from the progressive political family. And for this celebration of uh, 100, I invited Dr. Hannes Svoboda, who needs no introduction in the Brussels circle of social democrats, because uh, he was for a very long time a member of the European Parliament, and between 2012 and 14, also the leader of the parliamentary group of socialists and democrats. Hannes, welcome to this podcast. It's great to see you. And uh, first of all, I have to disappoint those who believe that Hannes is in retirement. What kind of retirement it is if someone is the president of the Vienna Institute for International Economic Research, also the president of the Sir Peter Ustinov Institute, furthermore, the president of the International Institute for Peace, and uh, just to name a few other presidencies, the president also of uh, the Friends of uh, the Vienna Library, also engaged in the leadership of the Bruno Kreisky Forum for International Dialogue in uh, Vienna. But um, instead of listing many of your uh, current engagements and titles, Hannes, I would like to ask you, first of all, about the state of social democracy. Because we have had uh, some turbulent years uh, behind, uh, ups and downs, and in in some countries, the downturn in the recent years was really, really uh, serious, if not dramatic. But now we have seen um, a victory, a social democratic victory in Norway, And um, it looks like uh, the German SPD also having um, a very good campaign. Of course, it's too early to predict anything, but the question naturally comes, uh, has uh, social democracy in Europe turned corner? And is there a kind of um, recovery in your view? Of course, uh, the question implies uh, that we are interested in your analysis of uh, the past experience, what might have caused a kind of erosion or drop of support in various countries. And how do you see this new wave of reconstruction from your seat in Vienna? Well, uh, first of all, thank you very much for this invitation. I'm quite honored, uh, especially with uh, hundreds uh, recording for postcards. I think you do a very good job. And thank you very much, Laszlo, for your strong engagement, which is very, very important, also for revitalization of social democracy. Now, I think uh, there are many reasons, and they are mostly structural reasons. If you see to the voter population, to the power base of social democracy, uh, of course, it was sometimes even destroyed or at least structural changed by the economic development. Uh, we have not this big industry as we had before, where we had some traditional vote, uh, working class uh, people engaged like steel industry, coal, whatever. And uh, therefore, our power base, our voter base is 
more dependent on these economic developments in the past and has been, as I said, even sometimes destroyed or is affected by economic changes than the voter base of some of the centre-right parties because these centre-right parties have more of their base in small and medium-sized industry where there have been not so much structural changes. In addition, of course, populism is uh, a big challenge for social democracy, not so much for conservative parties, which is different conservative or center-right parties who went into the populism uh, in, in the past, uh, especially also in, in Central Europe. So I think these structural changes are the basis of uh, some decline we had in social democracy. Uh, is there a change now? I hope so. Uh, and it seems that the change, of course, is connected with some personalities. Not always, you know, colorful populist personalities. If you look to Germany, for example, whatever the outcome of the election will be, but social democracy certainly is in a better situation now than some weeks ago or some months ago, with a personality um, as a leading figure for as candidate for the chancellor, for the prime minister's job, who is uh, very modest, very sincere. He is not, uh, you know, a colorful personality, which is uh, promising everything to the people. No. So I think uh, we should uh, refrain from thinking about we have to have these kinds always uh, personalities who are, you know, like stars coming up and shining uh, everywhere. No, it's decent work which is necessary. Decent work which uh, is necessary to convince voters to come back to social democracy. I don't know, and you probably don't know what will come in in the next uh, months, but I think uh, we should uh, work hard and strongly in developing a course of the center-left, underlining both center, we need a broad base of our voters, but of course we should not refrain from left-wing proposals concerning uh, income distribution, this distribution, and so on. It needs time. We need to have to be patient, but we should not give up. Uh, thank you so much. Um, Social Democrats in uh, the EU institutions today are very heavily involved in the discussion about the future of Europe. And this conference was um, launched earlier this year. And FEPS um, itself has also been um, very active in the past one year to develop uh, the socialist contribution to this uh, debate um, about the vision for uh, a reinforced, renewed European Union. And how would you describe the most essential components of a social democratic vision or a social democratic contribution to this uh, debate on the future of the European Union? Well, I think that the past economic uh, and social development showed a rising gap of income and wealth. And we see also with the the COVID crisis, that this gap has not been smaller now, but has even increased. So I think the, um, the element of um, what a social policy, a social Europe can be, and I think uh, nobody worked more on this issue like you, Lasla, uh, still has to be in the center of it. Of course, we have to materialize or to make it more concrete, more specific than in the past. The slogan alone is not enough. But there are many issues uh, where we have to say that social democracy, also on the European level, is for, of course, employment, for new jobs, different kind of jobs, of course, than maybe in the past, uh, but job creation is very important. I am not one of those who say, well, we have to live with a world uh, where we 
have less and less jobs for our people. No, this cannot be. Uh, secondly, of course, um, more decent jobs with decent income, which is very important because it's not enough just to have a job. Uh, it has also to have, have a decent income. And of course, the widening gap between poor and, and rich has to be closed and uh, at least uh, in some way be diminished. And therefore, again, we come to a, let's say some sort of a middle class society where we have to bring in our positions. And uh, these positions, as I said, have to be uh, very strongly connected with the social Europe, what we understand under, under social Europe. And that starts from uh, job creation towards uh, fighting against, of course, unemployment to give young people a chance because uh, we need as social democracy also and as Europe to win the younger generation over. Sometimes we have been losing them. Uh, they have been not addressed specifically. That is important to give uh, this new young generation a chance to rebuild Europe in a more social way. Uh, thank you uh, very much. Um, I think many of us um, have a feeling, uh, probably not only Austrians and Hungarians, that an issue which could be and should be more prominent on the agenda of uh, this conference on the future of Europe is the question of further EU enlargement. And I'm asking this question because I know that you have been working um, a lot also in Southeast Europe with the Balkans, about the Balkans. How do you see these questions? Because on the one hand, everybody knows um, that uh, it's a so-called unfinished reconstruction and an unfinished integration uh, process. On the other hand, if you look at Ursula von der Leyen in the recent speech of, on the State of the Union, I think she mentioned the Western Balkans, uh, but not necessarily connecting it with enlargement. What is your uh, feeling? Well, first of all, it's true. Enlargement is not uh, very popular uh, with many people in, in, in uh, countries. Maybe sometimes because of disappointment of the enlargement um, the so-called Eastern countries, uh, you know, perfectly well, our development, especially in, in Hungary and Poland, have been in some way disappointing and deteriorating uh, and undermining uh, democratic values. Now, I always say to my friends, yes, uh, perhaps we had too, too strong expectations. Uh, it needs time. Uh, there are always specific issues why in some countries they have, you have these authoritarian tendencies. And it's not only the two countries. And it's not only Eastern European countries. It's also Western European countries where we have that. Of course, we have a long um, tradition of uh, democratic development, especially after the Second World War. We had the chance not to lose some of the countries. I think the, the question of en further enlargement starts with uh, being honest and more, let's say, self-critical also concerning the enlargement, the last enlargement rounds with Eastern European countries specifically. So I think this is one of the issues we really have to deal with and not only in the sense of, well, this was a failure, this was a mistake, and the East is not uh, you know, as mature as the West, which is absolutely wrong. But there are specific problems. Secondly, I think it is a big mistake to mis disregard and forget the countries of uh, so-called Southeastern Europe of the Western Balkans, not only because uh, solidarity is a basic element, it must be a basic element of our strategies uh, and of Europe as a whole, but also geopolitically. We don't uh, want uh, China, Russia, 
the Turkey of today to be to have a strong foothold in this region and destroy maybe some of the democratic development we have there. Also, these countries, uh, Serbia, but other countries as well, we have some authoritarian tendencies, but we should not um, have that or use that as an excuse not to do anything. I have some ideas what we can do, perhaps to, to enhance uh, the rapprochement, the coming together of uh, European Union countries and the Balkans, but I think it would be a big, big mistake to forget about the enlargement process. It has to be maybe modified, yes, but not to forget. Exactly. And um, if the question is, what could be done until it gains momentum, what would you say? Because uh, I think it's understood that uh, there are various aspects the current EU countries would need to consider or reconsider or rethink. It takes time. I think everybody understands. At the same time, there's a lot of impatience also in the candidate countries or would-be candidate countries or former Yugoslavia as well as um, Albania. What can we offer in the meantime? To, to experience some progress? I think we should start with where have we common interest? And I think the common interest, of course, is basically economic and social development. But the environment is one of the big issues. Security is one of the big issues. The labor market is a big issue. So I think we should bring the countries closer to the European Union in more or less what we did already with the energy field, but in other fields as well, say, okay, to have a security community. I don't mean now NATO and the foreign affairs, but with the internal security, the question of migration, the question of uh, small, but nevertheless, some elements of radicalism in some of the countries. We cannot do that separately and tell them, you solve the issue. No, we have to do it together. It's our own interest to have the countries part of our engagement. The same is true of the environment or the health issue we saw with COVID. You cannot just make a, a wall you know, between the countries and uh, from the Western Balkans and us and say, let's stop it. We saw it in, in Austria, especially when we saw all of a sudden that we had a problem with some of the people who are helping our, especially old age people to, to stay at home and to be cared of. So I think all these issues are issues where we should not say them and us, but us together. And already now, in white ministers, officials, whatever, into the common council of ministers, etc., where we have a common project. And therefore, I'm a bit disappointed also that these countries are not as strongly invited into the Future of Europe conference because they could offer some contributions. And at the end, what would be important for me is also that Some of the leaders who are more or less, let's say, playing uh, European Union against China, China against European Union, Russia, and so on, would finally have to say, yes, we are part of Europe. We want to join European Union, not only formally, but already sit there. When some of the issues, which are common issues, are discussed, President Vucic or Iran and all the others should be part of it, not as a external element, but already is, let's say, um, in a transitional form of step-by-step uh, step integration into the European Union. It's not the issue that at one date, all of a sudden, everybody will be joining and before they are not. No, it should be a step-by-step step integration process where already together we deal with our common problems. Definitely. When we focus on the Western Balkans, we should not forget that this is also the region which is so much exposed to irregular uh, migration. 
Um, we witnessed in 2015 the relatively large-scale refugee migration, which um, arrived uh, to Vienna. And um, I also remember at that time visiting uh, Vienna and seeing many of these uh, refugees from Syria and elsewhere at uh, the railway station of uh, your beautiful city. This is definitely something which the European Union has not resolved. Do you see a chance uh, for the EU in a way to get its act together and become better prepared, more coordinated, more consistent in the field of managing migration than in the past? I hope so. I think that on the one hand, of course, uh, Europe can also make one contribution towards uh, solving the migration issue. We have much more to work together with the neighboring countries where uh, migration is uh, starting and uh, the source of migration. Now, for example, with Afghanistan and the neighboring countries, even if we don't like their leadership, it's true for Turkey, it's true for many other countries, but we have to cooperate, um, of course, uh, bring support and help to refugees as far as possible in the neighborhood of the countries where they're coming from, because they want, many of them want to return to the countries. And um, I think we should to combine this kind of uh, humane uh, attitude also, for example, in the Balkans. We have in the Balkans both. We need, of course, to support the countries that they are not overrun by refugees. But of course, we have to underline the way which Europe has to deal with, with refugees, not putting in some horrible camps where they have no support, no water, and a very ter terrible situation. Think about the children, how the children will react and will develop, what kind of attitude they will develop towards Europe, so-called Judeo-Christian Europe, if they are dealt with in a, in a terrible way. So I think the balance has to be found. Unfortunately, the discussion in Europe is not yet let's say, mature enough to have that common position. I was quite astonished, for example, reading that um, Iran and Albania is receiving more refugees from Afghanistan than some other countries, uh, Western European rich countries. Yes. Uh, so it, it's not only a question of rich and poor, it's a question of the attitude you have and uh, the symbols you give uh, for helping uh, refugees. Uh, again, uh, I think uh, the, the cooperation with the neighboring countries must be much stronger than in the past. It costs some money, but I think it is uh, just helping us also in fighting uh, reactionary movements in Europe, which are generally against refugees and which thinks that uh, this is their subject to win uh, the election. Hopefully, we will see in Germany that this is not possible, but the danger of a backlash in Europe is not uh, over yet. Uh, Hannes, I'm probably not mistaken if I say that your city, Vienna, is uh, probably exemplary uh, from many aspects, but also in terms of integrating you know, various generations of uh, migrants and refugees from different uh, directions. And it remains a social democratic stronghold. And um, let me ask this question also, because I know that you are involved in um, urban policy. And what kind of model do you think Vienna is for other cities? I think uh, in terms of the quality of life, a lot of people would know that uh, Vienna is one of the 
you know, world leaders in terms of um, how to design housing and uh, transport and various aspects of the public services, which a city aiming at, you know, decent life for all uh, would need to establish and develop. I'm also asking this because now there is a kind of international network and movement of progressive municipal leaders who uh, kind of represent uh, a kind of resistance against autocrats and populists and nationalist leaders in this region. How can cities like this, you know, show the way, you know, create and and disseminate good models, good solutions? I think uh, Vienna always has been a very multicultural cities, uh, one of these uh, multicultural cities, my name, alone is a symbol of not coming from originally from Vienna, Austria. And my mother, which is not, of course, visible in the name, coming from Hungary, my father from Bohemia. So it's, it's, it's a real mixture uh, we have. Uh, and it shows that integration uh, was possible in the past and is, of course, now. Now, of course, uh, the religion is different, the culture is different, some of the refugees coming from Afghanistan or Syria or whatever, but that does not mean that it is principle not possible. It needs more efforts uh, to have this kind of integration of people from different cultures and religion, but it needs also respect from both sides, respects uh, from the people living here towards uh, refugees or migrants, but also from migrants towards the city they're coming in. Maybe this is not uh, always seen as a mutual uh, question, but it is a mutual question. Uh, one has to offer uh, integration possibilities, but of course, those who come in have also to accept integration possibilities and, and use them. Secondly, uh, the people who are living already inside must uh, have the feeling that uh, helping refugees or migrants is not at their costs, at the costs of those who are already here. They have to see that for housing is, is done for everybody and uh, the housing needs have to be met. I know very well that uh, housing was a big issue always when I was uh, responsible in the city for urban planning and development. We created the possibility to step up housing and uh, we do it and not always the neighbors are happy because mm. those who have already a house or a flat, they think uh, that's it, uh, we don't need anybody else, we need green around. But uh, this is always a question of discussion and internal situation. It's, uh, and this is my perhaps my last point, it's not a question of coming from the outside and say you have to, but it's uh, the question of the dialogue with the citizens. I always was against this popular voting, let's vote if we can build a new house in our neighborhood. And then of course, those who will be there, uh, they will always be against, no. But the argument, the discussion has to be here. So it's, it's a democratic form. As we are social democrats, we have to be social oriented, but also democrat. And in that sense, cities can be a symbol. But of course, we have to recognize that many rumors are spread by the right wing groups about how things are developing. It was recently in Poland at a discussion where somebody spoke about our cities in the West as if there would be killings every every day of, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 people because the, the foreigners are coming in. So we have to, to fight against these fake news. The, the cities as such can represent something, but the fake news which are spread by right wings are very, very dangerous. Indeed. 
And um, if I may, a very last uh, question, because um, I noted that you're also president of the Friends of the Vienna Library, and um, in the Feb Talks, we often end with a book recommendation. I wonder if you would also like to recommend a book uh, which might be a favorite of yours or something which you consider extremely relevant from contemporary literature to our listeners. Well, I have uh, read one recently uh, that is from Elif Shafak. She is from Turkey, but cannot live in Turkey because she's too critical about the system which has been developed. It's called the Island of Missing Trees. It sounds a bit esoteric and it also concerns a fig tree and the history the fig tree is telling, but it's a history of Turkish Cypriot lady and Greek Cypriot guy who are meeting and finally are marrying, but the clash of the cultures which is seen especially from their parents and also the events of Cyprus are included. So I think it's it's quite uh, interesting. Of course, Elif Shafak, all the books she's writing is uh, very interesting and very critical about the, the authoritarian way Turkey is, is ruled today. But it's not, uh, it shows also the, the relevance and the importance and the value of Turkish culture. So we should not be, because of Erdogan, be against Turkey as such. Or in this case, it shows the, the two valuable communities, the Greek and the Turkish, but which are brought by politicians into opposition, but human beings can overcome that. So maybe that's that's an idea for some people. But oh, as I said, all her books, I think, are very, very interesting, very let's say, inspiring in a way. Maybe some of you will read it and will be happy reading it. Definitely. Many thanks for this recommendation. And thank you very, very much uh, for your time and being available for this uh, interview. We have heard Dr. Hannes Svoboda from Vienna uh, telling us about the state of social democracy, the future of Europe, and um, with a focus on Southeast Europe, the Balkans, and also recommending an important Turkish book for our listeners. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Hannes, for your time. And I should also thank our listeners for being with us. Please stay also in the future tuned to Feb's talks. Thank Goodbye. you, Rato. Thank you, Elena. All the best to you. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag Feb's talks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.